We're going to start in Luke 21. What God has put in my heart is a little series of messages about faith. And I want to talk about today not fainting, but maintaining our faith so as not to faint. And what I want to talk about in the coming weeks as well is the compassion of Jesus, that Jesus wants to get you home and how he will do that. And I also want to talk about praying in faith and what it means to pray in faith. So today I want to talk about faith and having faith that does not faint. In Luke 21, in verse 23, Jesus says, Woe to them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, and Pause here for just a moment, because I believe if we read verse 23 and 24, our minds can naturally go to times in history where this actually happened. And Jerusalem was overthrown by Rome, and there was the Jews dispersed into all the nations of the world. But then Jesus begins in verse 25 to talk about events that actually today cause us to even marvel. What does he mean by this? What is going to take place in the sun? What is going to take place in the moon? What is going to take place in the stars? Something is coming that is going to shake the heavens. And if we see the perplexity of men today with a virus where you have a 99% chance of surviving, and you see this kind of perplexity today... Imagine the perplexity that is going to come to men when the heavens are convulsing and something begins to happen with the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth begins to rage and it leaves men in perplexity. And that that word, and we'll come to it probably next week even more, but it just means a hopeless state of confusion. All men in a hopeless state of confusion. There is no answer. There is no solving it. And man is just absolutely paranoid. And so again, verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. It's going to be so monumental, that men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. And lift up your heads, for your redemption draws near. And he spoke to them a parable. He said, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. 
When they now shoot forth, you see and know for your own selves that summer is now near at hand. So likewise, you, when you see these things come to pass, know you that the kingdom of God is near at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. How many of you want to escape all these things that are going to come to pass? And Jesus said, when you begin to see these things, then lift up your head, your redemption is drawing near. And he ties us all the way back to Jerusalem's um, overthrowing by Rome. He, tra- he draws us back to Jerus- Israel being dispersed into all of the nations and killed by the sword. So that has begun, beloved. And so we should be expecting the coming of our king. We should be looking for him and believing that. But there are some other events that are going to happen in the heavens, that are going to happen on the earth, and it is going to be just a tremendous upheaval. In in Romans chapter 8, Paul also talks about this, and I just want you to read it because I want to come to this subject of your faith this morning. But in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul tells us this, And I believe this is so necessary for us today. He says in verse 18, The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. So this whole creation has been subjected to vanity because of our fall. Because the creature itself, verse 21, will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And so this world and this creation is groaning. It is in pain. The sun is in pain. The moon is in pain. The stars are in pain. The seas of the earth are in pain. And the Bible calls it like the labor pains of a woman. They become closer together. They become more intense in their strength and their duration. And beloved, as we come to the end of this age, you're going to find these types of cataclysmic, catastrophic devastations in the earth. But something else is also going to begin to happen in the heavens. And the devil would have men to think that this is global warming, but this is the judgment of God. It is the knowledge that creation itself knows that we are going to be delivered from this and we're in pain from it. And so it is this groaning that has taken place. We are saved by hope, but we don't see that hope. But what we see, we're hope, what we don't see, we're hoping for it. 
But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, this is so important, likewise the Spirit helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And beloved, I say this to us, especially those of us living in the last days, perhaps living in these times where we might see the heavens shaken, where we might see men drop dead because their hearts fail them as the fear and the perplexity begins to sweep the earth in ways we've never imagined. And the devil trying to prepare humanity that, you know, this is because of global warming and there's going to be these tragedies and catastrophes because the devil knows the Bible. And he's trying to give his narrative to humanity. And we begin to see all of these things. I say to you, we have got to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit where we can discern and be a means by which the Holy Spirit can groan in us and pray through us. And I'm not talking about you praying. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit praying in you. And I would, I would be willing to even ask you the question, have you ever experienced that in your life? The Holy Spirit actually praying in you and praying through you. And I tell you, beloved, in this last moment of time, you better get to an intimacy with the Holy Ghost where you experience that in your life. Because he says, likewise... He helps our infirmity, and we are in infirmity, and especially in these last days, and we are desperate for the Holy Spirit. And so I just come to this verse today to let you know that if you are to be a believer who does not faint, you must have an intimate relationship with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost must be your life. He must be your prayer life. He must be your church life. He must be your Bible study life. He must be your life. And you must be able to be in a relationship with Him where He is helping your weakness and your infirmity because your heart could fail too. And you could become one of the ones that are perplexed in a perplexing time. And then what good is the church if that's the case? What good is a church that has a hopelessness about it in a time of confusion? What good is a church in that moment? And that's what the church has been all through 2020. And I'm talking about globally as a church. It has provided no answer. No answer. It has bowed to the, to the feet of government doctors and, and has provided no answer at all. When we are the answer. We are the answer, and so we have to know this. So difficult times have been here, and difficult times are here, and difficult times are coming, and we must understand that we are the people with the answer, and we have to give that answer. To deliver Israel, God did not need a theologian in the days of Jezebel and Ahab, and he did not pick a theologian. He picked a man of faith, and he picked Elijah who had faith in God, and he wasn't with the school of the prophets to deliver Israel from Egypt. He chose a shepherd named Moses, who would walk with God and have the ability to get Egypt out of Israel. And so this is what we have to believe. And I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11, and I want to look for just a moment at faith, and we're going to maybe spend the rest of our time here in Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 11... I'm going to give you some things as far as definition is concerned about faith. 
Because faith is a very misunderstood thing today. And a lot of times what people call faith is nothing more than presumption. We're presuming upon God. A lot of times faith as well are people that go and take a promise from God's Word and then go to God and, and with great effort and great toil try to convince God to do His own Word as though God's arm has to be twisted. And maybe some of you might even misunderstand me in regards to fasting and prayer beginning Saturday through the following Wednesday. And maybe you would misunderstand me that if we fast enough and pray enough, then God will hear us and God will come and do a remarkable thing for us. And if that's the case, we've totally missed this. We're on the basis of law and not grace. And so I want us to understand That faith is relationship with God. And I want you to know what faith is. And the Bible says now faith is. Faith is not yesterday and faith is not tomorrow. Faith is right now. Faith has to be right now. It has to be right now because God is right now. God is the God of the now. God gives us promises for our future and everything, but right now He is the God of the moment. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He never changes. But He doesn't live within our time constraints. He's right now, and this is the God that is. And faith has never been past tense. It is always present tense. And it's not future tense. It is present tense. And our faith must be right now. You must, listen to me, if you're a person of faith, you must get God into the present. So many of us are believing for our tomorrows when we have to believe God for our todays. You must get Him into this now. Right now, where you are, where we are, we must get Him and believe Him to be in this. It is easy to believe what He did in the past. It is easy to believe that he would deliver Daniel. But it is very difficult for people to believe that he'll do something for me today. Many believe that he is going to do something, but belief in God believes that he will do it, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I believe God. I believe God can do anything. That does not mean or qualify that as faith. I believe God, as I said before, could turn this pulpit into gold. I don't believe He will, though. And so a lot of our praying is, God, I believe You can do this. I believe You have the power to do this. But in that belief that He can, there's not the affirmative that He will. And that is why it is imperative that we understand what faith is and how faith comes so that we will believe that God today will. I remember when we prayed just a couple of weeks ago with Hurricane Ida, and it was Sunday morning, it was 150 mile an hour winds, and we came and I said, I'm not going to preach today, we're going to pray today. We have to have the God of the now. And so we came and we prayed and we believed God. We went back to our homes, and I'm sitting in my home, and I send out a text before Ida ever made landfall. And I sent out a text to our office staff and I said, Jesus is with me. And Jesus has assured me that everybody in our church is going to be fine. We're going to be okay. He's going to take care of us. He's heard our prayers. He's given us. And I set that out before it ever made landfall. Why? Because I heard him. I knew. I didn't need a group of people to tell me that. I knew that from him. 
And that was the case, praise God, that he heard our prayers and he took care of us. Thanks the Lord for his goodness and his mercy. So verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so I just want to talk about this for a moment. I think we all know what evidence is. Evidence is the demonstration of something that I have to prove something. That's what evidence is. How do you know this to be true? Because here's the evidence of it. Now, faith today, again, has been greatly attacked, not only in the church world, by presumptive Christians and shallow teaching, but it has also been attacked in the secular world culturally by atheists and professors in our schools that try to make us feel as though people of faith are ignorant and unlearned and foolish, that we walk around in the dark hoping for things to be true. What hypocrisy, what absolute hypocrisy that these professors who think they're so smart would want to come and engage us in what faith is when they believe in evolution, which is a total leap into the dark with no substance to it whatsoever. And I don't have the type of brain that a lot of people do, and I'm grateful for those those people in, in our faith that can debate people and talk to people and have educational discussions with them. But I believe that God made the heavens and the earth because faith tells me He did. And that faith is the evidence to me that He did it. And it is the evidence of it because I believe that. But also this good thing is faith is substance. It is substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. How do you know what you don't see is true? How do you know heaven is real? Faith. Well, yeah, but what does that mean? Beloved, it means I have some substance to this. Don't try to define my faith as a Bible believer with your faith as a wishful thinker. My faith has substance to it. And this word substance is from hypostas, and it means to substantiate something. It means a foundation. It means firm. It has actual existence. It is a substance being real. And therefore, if I have faith, I have substance. I can stand on it. If I have faith, I have evidence of it. And it is that faith that gets me through. It may not bring anybody else through, but it's going to bring me through. And it's going to cause me to see Jesus. Faith is the means through which I stand and the means by which I am held up and the means by which I believe for things I'm hoping for and have not seen. Because I have faith. How did that faith Get there. It came from God. It came from God. It didn't come from men or people. And I want you to just quickly turn to this, but stay in Hebrews with me, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 because I just say that so much of what is going on in Christianity today is a man-made faith and not a spiritual faith. You need to have faith from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 1, 
I, brothers, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I ask you this morning, how does your faith stand? Does it stand in the wisdom of men or in the power of God? And Paul said, I refuse to come to you with this enticing words, my speech and preaching being of enticing words of man's wisdom. You know what Paul means by that? I am not going to dumb this down so that you can get your brain around it. And that's what people would think that's what Paul's saying. That's not what he's saying. Even the Apostle Peter says Paul has things to say that are very difficult to understand. And so the Apostle Paul was not going around trying to dumb this down. That's why I pray that when we teach our children, we don't try to dumb it down to them so that their faith stands in the wisdom of men. Preach it. Preach it as lofty as it is. Preach it as unattainable as it can possibly be so that only by the Spirit of God you can believe this. And not because man has persuaded you. Because another bright man will come down the road and persuade you to believe something else. But this is Paul. And so I just say to you this morning, what upon what does your faith stand? The wisdom of men. Oh, I need Pastor Lee here with me because somebody's shaking my faith. What does your faith stand in? Lee's ability to explain that to you? Or do you go to God and get from God by the power of the Holy Spirit what God says? And so that we stand in the power of God and the power of His Spirit, which is absolutely beautiful and we need to stand in this. So faith is substance and it is evidence. And I pray that you have that. I pray that you have substance and I pray that you have evidence within you. And if you have that, your faith will be challenged. It could become weak. It could become strong. It could vacillate between those two degrees. But nonetheless, faith is there. And if you have the faith of a mustard seed, there's incredible ability in your life as you walk with God. Someone said this about faith. It is acting like it is so, even when it is not, in order that it might be so, because God said it is so. Want me to do that again? It is acting like it is so, even when it is not, in order that it might be so, just because God said it is so. And it's living that. Does it make life easy? The life of faith does not make life easy. I promise you, you live a life of faith, you will disturb everybody around you. If you live a life of faith, you'll disturb the church world around you. Because a number of people don't live by faith. They live by human wisdom and human reasoning. There's nothing natural about faith. Faith gets into your will. It gets into your spirit. It gets into your heart. It ignites your affections. It causes you to do something that people think you're crazy for. Why? Because you're living in regards to something you don't see, but you have the evidence of it. And so they just think you're nuts. They just think you're absolutely nuts. 
Faith walks with God. The prayer of faith heals the sick, moves mountains, overcomes the world, stops the sun. That's what faith does. It's not because presumptuous men walked out into a field and said to the sun, stop. And fire did not come for Elijah because he challenged 850 witches in a valley and said, whoever brings fire down from heaven will prove that they're God. Joshua went out into that field and spoke to the sun because God told him to. And Elijah went and challenged 850 witches and poured water on his offering because God told him to. And that's faith. And we need to pray, God, what do you want to tell us about this? If a sickness comes, what do you want to tell me about this? What do you want to do in this, God? Do you want me to die from this? Do you want me to go to heaven with this? Or do you want to do a miracle with this? What is the testimony you want through it? Because our life is for you. It is for you, God. And what is it that you want to do? And then faith comes. And when faith comes, then the victory comes. It comes through all of that. And you begin to persevere and overcome that. Faith is worth fighting for. And if you will, I know we're skipping around to some more passages of Scripture, but if you will, Second, First Timothy chapter 6. This is what Paul says to his dearest friend. And he says in verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto you are also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. It's worth fighting for, beloved. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says this, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. John would say that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. From the moment you were born... To this very moment in your life, Satan has taken everything in his disposal to destroy your faith. And if there is one thing that Satan is after in your life, it is your faith. It is not your health. It is not your job. It is not your finances. It is your faith. He might use finances, he might use health, he might use your jobs to cause you to distrust God, to be bitter or to be angry with God. But that's not what he's after. He's after your faith. And everything from the day you were born, he's used everything in his disposal to stop you from believing in God. And the only help that you have in your faith is that which is in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just talking about, I can say the Bible helps your faith, but it doesn't if it's not in the Holy Ghost. I've known many people know the Bible backwards and forwards, not walking with God today. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the faith to stand in the power of the Holy Ghost. You need a relationship with Him. It is so desperate for you to have this with the Lord. And so fight the fight of faith, because it is a fight. And that's what the devil's after. And you cannot afford to give it up. You cannot afford to give up this evidence and this substance. What will you do if you do that? What will you do? And this is what you need to spend your life doing with your family and your friends and your co-workers. You need to build their faith. You need to speak for God 
into their life so that they have faith because Satan's doing everything he can to take it from them. In Hebrews chapter 10, just a few verses of Scripture, it says this. In verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Don't waver. Don't waver. Ashley Robbins, she'll probably give a testimony of this, but uh, about a week or so ago, Caleb, her son, they thought he was bit by a snake playing out by the lakes by their house. They rushed him to the hospital. He immediately swole up really big. God gives Michelle a word that about serpents will not hurt you. She talks to Ashley about this. They're praying, and then they come home, and the doctor said we could find no venom in him. But it swole up so fast as though it had to be a venomous bite. And then they said, well, maybe it was wasp that stung him. And then Ash said when the swelling was gone, there was just two perfect teeth marks in his foot. And I just said, hey, I'm a believer. He was bit by a snake. God took the venom out and he was fine. I'm a believer. That's all I need. I've had people come to me. And say, you know, you hear about the testimonies of God, and we give to. I've had I've had people come. Do you have documentation for that? I don't give documentation to skeptics. I have multitudes of witnesses, but the documentation is in heaven, and I hope you make it there. You can read it in the oracles of God, because He did it. I'm a believer. I just believe God, and I believe what it says. And so, don't waver. Don't. Uh-uh, I'm not even going there. I'm not wavering. I went into LSU. I was determined. I am not going to waver in my faith. I've got evidence and substance, and these smart people are going to try to cause me to waver. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to let Fauci make me waver in my faith. Nothing's going to make me waver. Nothing. I'm not going to let Trump make me waver in my faith. I don't need him. I need Jesus. I need to be what the church needs to be in this hour. I need to walk with God. And the Bible tells us, if you just continue reading in verse 24, let us consider one another and provoke to love and good works, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Aren't you glad that's not your manner? Praise God. As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verse 35, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Praise God. Verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Praise the Lord. Don't throw your confidence away. Don't waver. Be steadfast. Get together more and more and more as you see that day approaching. Help each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. And don't turn away. Don't go back. And thank God you can know you're one who will not turn back. But you will go all the way believing. You might think for a moment that I just never could be a person of great faith. I hear that a lot. I, I just I'm not a person of great faith. I couldn't be a person of great faith. I wanna I wanna caution you 
with that type of statement because you immediately begin to place faith on the value of personal worth. And I'd like to remind you of some of the greatest people of faith in their life. Noah was a farmer. He was not a skilled in building boats or anything of that nature. But he was a farmer. He was called by God to save the world in a very soon coming universal flood. He heard God and believed that he heard God and did what he heard God tell him to do. And he built a boat. After the flood came and the entire world was destroyed, Noah gets off of the ark, builds a vineyard, and passes out drunk. He was a great man of faith. Abraham is the father of our faith. And he never wavered in his belief about God. Never staggered in what God's ability could do. But he did put his wife in another man's bed twice to save his own life. And that's not a great man. But he was a great man of faith. Sarah, when she heard what God said he would do for them, laughed at God. But she was a woman of faith. Joseph, though there's not many things said derogatory about him, was a slave, had a prison record, but was a man of faith and went from prison to prime minister. Rahab was a harlot. She was a great woman of faith. David was a mass murderer. He didn't just kill Bathsheba's husband. He killed the whole platoon that was fighting with him just to kill that one man. Committed adultery. Horrible things went on in his life, but there's nobody like him. And a great man of faith. Gideon and Samuel's children were vile. Two godly men with some of the most ungodly kids you could ever imagine. But these two men were great men of faith. And yet you have Christians all over saying, I just don't know that I could ever be a person of great faith. Could I submit to you this morning that perhaps faith is something far more than what you consider it to be. And perhaps you consider faith to be this abundance of knowledge. And if you have all of this knowledge, or maybe you consider faith to be the result of self-discipline. And if I have all of this self-discipline, or perhaps you begin to think that faith and the measure of faith has to do with my personal holiness and abstinence from the world and separation unto God, and you begin to measure. But what if faith is not conditioned on those things? But what if faith were more of an organ spiritually than something you attain to carnally? If faith substantiates what I don't see and provides the evidence for me of what I don't see, then let me explain it to you this way. I've never felt light. I've never felt it. I've never touched it. But it is substantiated for me because I have the organ of sight 
And because I have this ability to see, I see light, and therefore light is real to me, and the evidence of light is real to me. I can't explain gravity. Nobody can. But because I live in an atmosphere where it operates, it is substantiated for me day in and day out throughout our lifetime. And what if faith is the spiritual ability to hear and the spiritual ability to see? And it's not the personal hype or the personal performance, but it's Jesus being able to say, just come like a little child, and he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying and the ability to see. And if you're going to fight for your faith, I would encourage you to begin to live a spiritual life far more than you do a carnal life that has cultivated intimacy with the Holy Ghost on the basis of grace and that you ask the Holy Spirit who comes to help you in your weakness, especially in these closing hours of this age where men are going to be perplexed and so are you that you would ask for an intimacy with the Holy Ghost where He would awaken in you the ability to hear and the ability to see. Because according to John 14 through John 16, that is exactly what the Holy Spirit was sent to do. He was sent to show you and speak to you. And apart from that, I wonder if it's faith at all that we really act in most of the time. Or is it wishful thinking, presumption, or personal devotion that will eventually twist the arm of God and He will do what He is so reluctant to do because He just does not want to heal and He just does not want to deliver And he just does not want to forgive. And he just does not want to be kind. But if we can be good enough, then we can twist God's arm and maybe he'll heal somebody. Really? That's who he is? Really? He is not reluctant to do anything he promised. He is not reluctant to heal. He is not reluctant to deliver. He is not reluctant to forgive. He just needs people of faith who can see it and hear it and have the courage to go build a boat or to step out of the boat and walk on the water because Jesus said to Peter, and so how do you live? And if you're going to have a faith that gets through perplexing times, which we are in, you're going to have a faith that gets through it. You've got to have this intimacy with God, and you need this spiritual organ. It's not natural. It's a spiritual organ in your new man that can see and that can hear.
And people come and they don't see what you see and they don't hear what you hear. And they say, what are you doing? Well, don't you see that? No, I don't see anything. You're crazy. I, I get you saying that. I get you saying I'm crazy. But I'm not. Because I see God. I see this. I hear him. This is what he said. I can do nothing else. I want you to take a moment right now and pray. And we're just going to close like this. But I just want to remind you in Ephesians chapter 5. And maybe this is a way that will help you know if you're sleeping or not. Because the Bible says the church, when Jesus comes, there are many things said about this, that the church is asleep when he comes. But how do you know that you're awake? Ephesians 5 says, Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. That means sight. You'll see. You'll see. Do you have faith today? Do you have faith? Do you have faith? Do you have evidence in substance? And does it stand in the power of the Holy Spirit? And is this faith that you have able to be demonstrated through acts of God in your life because you hear Him and you see Him and you walk with Him? Ask Him to wake you up. Ask Him for the ears that hear. Ask Him for the eyes that see. Ask Him for the faith that moves mountains. He gives that faith. He gives it. And He grows it. He watches over it. Not you. You would and I, we would destroy it and so would Satan. But Jesus is the author and finisher. Praise God. Just tell him right now, I am yours, Lord. And I desire to have intimacy with you. I desire the help of the Holy Spirit who will make intercession through me to help me in my weakness. To give me strength in perplexing times. To have faith that endures. That I would fight the good fight of faith. That I'd finish my course like Paul and say, I've kept the faith. We live in a time where many are either throwing their faith away or being exposed to the fact that it really wasn't faith after all. But Lord, let us be those who don't turn back. But believe to the saving of the soul because you said it and we heard it. It's so. It is so. We reverence you and we love you. We thank you for holiness. We thank you for devotion. We thank you for sacrifice to follow you. We thank you for all of that. But Lord, I'm so thankful that relationship with you is not on the ground of law, but on the ground of grace, so that it might be sure to every one of us. We love you in the name of Jesus and pray, God, that you would help us to live and act in faith throughout this day up into the prayer meeting tonight, God. 
that we might know what you want and believe it on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.